If you messed up like I did when I was your age in college, know that God loves you just the way you are. Come here, seven-year NFL veteran Steve Grant at the 14th annual RUC Fundraising Banquet. The theme this year is Choosing to Win. Join us for this special evening at the Villa Milano on March 10th. Festivities begin at 6, followed by dinner at 6.30, and then the program at 7 p.m. Make your reservations today at RelationshipsUnderConstruction.com. I just dropped in to see what condition our country was in. Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principles and Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Chairman of the Institute, my friend and fellow analyst, Chuck Michaels. Hey, it's good to have you back in the studio. You know, last week, we you weren't feeling so hot, so uh, I, I went solo again. Um, and I'm still teaching my... Uh, my God, government and governance class, which goes right along with a lot of the stuff that's going on, folks. If you're listening, you're finding out uh, really what uh, governance uh, outside of the bounds of the uh, uh, of the limits of government looks like, because uh, you don't have to go very far to uh, to see it in action. And it doesn't look very pretty. Let's nope. just be honest about that. Right now, our country is, I would say, we're getting close to being on the crux of making a major decision, splitting the road. You know, which path are we going to take? Are we going to continue to go down a path that is going to lead to worse economic conditions, worse social conditions, worse, I'd say, spiritual conditions, Chuck? Or are we going to turn from that path are we going to do a uh, chronic Second Chronicles seven fourteen, where we're going to turn from our wicked ways, and we're going to seek God's face, and we're going to pray to Him for our country, and you know, enlist His aid to get us back on the right path. Now, folks, I mean, all it takes is just waking up in the morning, turning on a radio, turning on a television, opening the newspaper. You see it everywhere. Our country is, I would, I would hesitate to say slowly, because I think it's speeding up. I think it's more rapidly starting to dissolve the social bonds that hold us together, the spiritual bonds which hold us together, the economic bonds which hold us together, are all starting to show definite signs of collapse. Yeah. Do you um, remember Robert Bork and the book he wrote? Uh, Slouching Toward Gomorrah. Yeah, I've got that book. It's one of my favorites. Slouching Toward Gomorrah. That's what's happening. We're slouching towards Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. Now, Chuck, one of the things, you know, we can say is, well, you know, the media likes to, you know, sensationalize things. You know, you and I talked offline about the weather. And, you know, today we're recording this. The weather is a little blustery, you know. It isn't quite a Wednesday, as uh, Winnie the Pooh would say, yes. but it's a Thursday with Wednesday's wind. Um, but if you listen to the media, you know, we're all going to, um, you know, be blown away like um, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, you know, when she wakes up and she's in Oz and the uh, the house has been picked up off its foundations, dropped straight down on a witch, you know. Um, we're not, that's not what we're about, but the media does try to sensationalize things. But there's a lot of stuff that the media soft pedals. 
And it depends on what media you listen to. Now, you know, I've always said, Chuck, you and I have talked about this before. We talked about it on air. If you just watch one or two news programs to get all of your information, you really don't have a well-rounded view of what's going on because you just sit and watch Fox News all the time or you sit and watch CNN all the time. You know, you're not getting a rounded view of what's going on because every one of those news outlets, whether it's television, print, you know, or uh, radio, are coming at it from their own perspectives, their own biases, and their own preferences. You know, when an editor takes a look at an article and cuts the article up and changes the headlines because he doesn't feel it has enough punch, what he's really saying is, I don't think it promotes the agenda I want as much as I want it to. And so the media is complicit in this, but Chuck, we just look around us. You know, things are falling apart. When people can't walk down a street without being attacked by people, you know, you, you hear this all the time, and usually you hear it associated with big cities like Chicago, New York, et cetera, but it's happening in a lot of other places where people are just being attacked willy-nilly for no good reason. Um, you know, we see these, I don't know if anybody saw this or not, but recently in, over in the state of New Jersey, you had two local council people on separate occasions um, both being killed by someone who just came up to them and shot them while they were in their cars. Yes, now, I, the, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. The it's... one lady, they still haven't figured out who did it yet. But the other one, the gentleman, it turns out it's probably something over a work-related dispute because the assailant who committed suicide after killing this councilman, uh, you know, killed the councilman. They both worked at the same company. And the uh, disgruntled person who committed suicide after murdering this gentleman, you know, uh, had been let go or fired or something of that nature. So there's something there that that was probably more along the lines of a personal squabble or a work-related squabble than it was political. But it's, it's just very interesting that the two local council people from the state of New Jersey, both of whom... We're Republicans, Chuck. I'll just say that right now. I don't. Right. I'm not sure that that plays a huge role um, in in anything, but it might. It just might. Um, as we know, if you looked at the state of Oklahoma here recently, you know they're debating a bill which is similar to what Ohio had called the Safe Act to protect kids from transgender surgeries. Well, a big group of transgender supporters um, decided they would like invade the state house um, in uh, Oklahoma, uh, the legislature, and, you know, created all kinds of uproar. But, you know, that wasn't considered an insurrection, Chuck. That wasn't because that was considered free speech. That's a protest. That's a protest. Very similar to what happened in, on January 6, 2021. But that the media and everybody else categorizes as an insurrection, you know, a threat to democracy. Well, there's no less of a threat to democracy when you get like a screaming horde of people who are angry because somebody's wanting to protect children rushing and disrupting the business at a state house than you do of people who are in D.C. who, you know, supported a, a president who then, you know, whether they were coaxed to do so or did it on their own recognizance or free will, you know, went into the Capitol building. And did the things that they did, which honestly, a couple of them got a little out of control by taking things like a podium and stuff. That's ridiculous. You're stupid. But the rest of them were just there peacefully. But 
it's now been blown out of proportion that these are domestic terrorists. So, I mean, even our language is deteriorating. Oh, yeah. But, uh, words no longer mean things in a concrete manner. They mean whatever the speaker wants them to mean at whatever time. And by the way, that is part and parcel of postmodernism. Yes, it is. Postmodernism is the assumption that you cannot tell one of the one of the tenets, especially in in the written word, is that a reader cannot tell, has no idea what the writer actually meant. He only has what he interprets in the writing or same thing listening to a speech you cannot tell the meaning of the words of the speech except your own interpretation of it now what's wrong with that well it what it says is that there is no concrete meaning of words exactly that it can mean whatever you feel like and and for, for for instance you use that word um insurrection yes an insurrection, definitionally, is an armed revolt, generally in a in a capital city, with the uh, the intent and purpose of uh, wresting control of the government away from uh, whoever has it at the time. Um, we had the same problem, by the way, during the war between the states, because the South was not engaging in an insurrection. They did not wish to control the northern government. They wished to be wished independent to be of it. Yes. The whole idea in the South was to be an independent nation. Um, and that'll get, that may get us some, some squawk back. That's fine. Uh, that's, that's, that's fine. Look at, look at history. Yeah. Don't just read it from one source, read it from multiple perspectives, just like taking the news. I mean, yeah, but in order to get a well-rounded picture, you need to, you need to be willing to look at sources that you may not agree with. Yeah, once you get into a situation where where words don't mean uh, what what they do concretely, you're the postmodernists are correct. You're just talking. Everyone's talking and saying something, and the hearer is saying, "I hear this. You said this. I hear this." How many times have you said something and had someone paraphrase what you said back, and it's completely wrong? Oh, only when I'm in the, in disagreement with my wife about something. <laughs> no, yeah. no, baby, I didn't mean that. <laughs> yeah, we, we do have that issue from time to time. But mostly where you find <laughs> it is when someone is looking for something to reject your argument mm -hmm. for. So what do they do? They say, well, you said this and this and this and this. And I said, I didn't say anything even like that. Exactly. What I said was, and you go back over it precisely, and and then you define the words. That's what I said. Well, I didn't interpret it that way. I said, well, <laughs> I don't care. That's what I said. Um, you know what? What? And the way you reinterpreted my words so that you could reject my argument—that's up. That's on you, not on me. But the problem is, you begin to talk past one another when when that happens. We see that from time to time. Uh, it's not just in politics, it's in theology. Yes, it's true. Well, and, and you know what? I'm glad you said that because I was going to suggest that this whole postmodernist idea didn't just happen in the in the you know late twentieth or the early twentieth century. No. Uh, it actually has been around since the scriptures were written because 
if I remember correctly, I believe it was the Apostle Paul who basically made, gave the admonition that the, the scriptures are of no private interpretation. And that you have to seek the counsel of God in the wisdom of the book and that the scripture interprets scripture. And so therefore, and just remember, that the scriptures are of no private interpretation. That means you can't just take it, read into it what you want, and then just say, that's the truth, because that's the way I want it to go. That's not the way scripture, scripture is put together, coordinated, uh, you know, made to show its wholeness. None of that. Um, or as, you know, I, I keep laughing about this, and we reference this every once in a while, uh, my um, profile picture, my profile cover, uh, uh, on my Facebook page, and yes, you can go and you can you can you know add add, add to be a friend or stuff. I sometimes put things up here, not as much lately, but right. it's 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 a quote from Paul Harvey, the uh, the commentator, uh, you know, who uh, was basically everybody in America at one point or the other knew who Paul Harvey was and and loved hearing him talk. But he he had this quote, and he says, "Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself." Men reject the Bible because it contradicts them. <laughs> that's, that's true. And it's absolutely spot on true. And th that's that whole point of the Bible is of no private interpretation. The scriptures cannot, you can't just take them and say, well, this is, this is how I take the scriptures. So this is what I believe to be true about them. Because the scriptures interpret themselves. You know, if you find a passage that's difficult in the scriptures, difficult to understand, Seek other scriptures. You know, I, I'll tell you what, the book of Ecclesiastes, Chuck, was always a big, you know, head scratcher to me on certain things until, especially like Ecclesiastes, I think, 12. Um, and then realizing, you know, putting it in context that what they're talking about there is the process of someone growing old and how things change, but the scriptures stay the same. And it's like, oh, that makes so much more sense now. But, you know, and I'm just using that as one example, but, you know, you go on with your thought because I know you were thinking about this too, you know, coming to the Bible, but that's the reason why you have to be careful. And, you know, we are called to be, to seek out, to study to show ourselves approved. A workman who can rightly divide the word truth. Now, when the scriptures use that term rightly divide, they, that means that there is a right way to do it. Yes. <laughs> and you are called to find it out. Well, where do you find it out? You find it out in the scriptures. Yes. You find it out by, by not decontextualizing the scriptures, but by contextualizing the scriptures against other scriptures. You know, are the Old Testament and the New Testament like roughly, solely divided, Chuck, where now that the New Testament's here, the Old Testament that has no impact whatsoever? No. Because even Christ himself brought back the parts of the Old Testament when talking to people in the Sermon on the Mount and other places. You know, he showed the continuity. There are some discontinuities because some things have changed, but those were spelled out. But then the rest, but the vast majority of it is a continuity. Well, think about it. The, the, the apostles quoted from the Old Testament almost exclusively. Be, yes. Why? Because there was no New Testament kit yet. You have to keep that in mind, folks. When the, you're reading these letters and these epistles uh, and the and the gospels, these were not 
already written down. What they were going by was the book of the law. They were going by the Pentateuch. They were going by the Old Testament, which, Chuck, you know, that, that, was, their, that was their scriptures. As the, and then as the New Testament age uh, has opened up and developed, you know, then these writings became extant and were put in as the completeness of the canon of Scripture, that the God's revelation to right. us. Right. Now, uh, it, you think about it, um, you could virtually rebuild the Old Testament from the New. I mean, uh, the, the, the salient points anyway, um, yes. because of Christ quoted the Scriptures all over the place. And sometimes we don't recognize that as Jesus said, well, Jesus, what right. Jesus said was what the old Testament said. Yep. Because, oh, and let me, let me go, let me go back because I just found it. Um, I got, you know, folks, I can, I can quote what's some of the words of the scriptures, but finding the chapter and verse, that's a little tougher for me. So I sometimes have to use my electronic assistant here to figure this out. Yeah. And I had said, I'd said, uh, Paul, but it's Peter. This was in Second Peter one twenty. Says that knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Okay, so and and that, and, and the prophecy of the Scripture that just means the telling of, of the Scripture, what the Scripture says. You know, when when they talked about prophets in the Old Testament, they were talking about the guys you know wearing those sackcloth and ashes and confronting the kings. But a prophet in the New Testament is preaching. Having the gift of prophecy is the gift of preaching. Or in other words, being able to go into the scriptures, finding that right understanding of it, and then sharing that. And, and so that and so of course Peter's always coming back to this and saying, Hey, you know, prophecy this prophecy is of no private interpretation. So in other words, you have to basically come to the scriptures and represent the scriptures as the scriptures represent themselves, not as you would want them to be represented. And I think that's that's a big problem, Chuck, in our culture today. I mean, I'm going to jump back to what we're talking about. I saw an article just the other day, and hopefully we go back and find it, and we can link it up on our principal policy page at principalpolicy.com, where we post our, our past shows, and we'll have the links there. But uh, there was an article that basically said that there was a group of um, of newspaper, magazine, uh, publishers, and editors who basically decided that objective journalism is not what they're after anymore. And that they really want to take a complete turn from like they haven't already and basically make these, uh, everything that you read would be an editorial. Uh, let's just put it this way. Yeah. You know, it would all be editorializing. Even a, even a news article wouldn't be objective news. It would be editorializing on what they believe the news should be. And again, as I mentioned that before, that's the reason why you have to go to different sources. I don't just go to Fox News. You know, I go to leftist publications. I go to centrist publications. I try to read as many of these things as I can, uh, as often as I can, in order to basically get a better feel for what's going on. Because, yeah, it takes a little work, but, you know, we're if, if it's important to you, you know, if what's going on in our culture and how to fix it is important, you'll put the work in. And I'm, that's what I try to do. I try to put the work in because I really, I'm concerned about, I mean, I've got three children who are on, you know, they're at the age where they could start getting married and start having kids of their own. I'm not sure it's a, you know, 
what's going to be left for them? I, I'm, of, I'm what, in the same a, boat, yeah. What kind of a country we're going to have, what kind of a government we're going to have, whether or not they're going to have the freedoms that we've had, you know, will they be able to go and worship at the, uh, at the, the church of their choice? Or will they be directed by the state that you can only do this? Um, you know, can they homeschool their kids? This is something that's coming up right now in Ohio, folks. Can you homeschool your kids? Right now, we have the freedom to do so. But the left has been trying for years to discredit or put a black eye on homeschooling. And they think they've got it this time because, oh, they found a family up in upper north central Ohio who was teaching their kids Nazism. And, you know, <laughs> and it's and it's like, well, you know what? Some people just can't learn from history. Right. And, you know, when you're homeschooling, you can do that. I mean, you could teach your kids whatever, right, Chuck. I mean, if you wanted your kids to be Jehovah's Witnesses, you could homeschool them and teach them all the tenets of, of being a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, exactly. You, know? and you could do that. You'll notice that no one is too worried about that. Well, uh, no, they're not worried so much about that. But the whole point is that they, they know that home education is one of the best ways out of the government-controlled school system, which is collapsing on itself already, exactly. you know, now. You know, when, we, when you know, when you see articles coming from Ohio where, where teachers and administrators are admitting that they're lying to parents, they're violating state laws, and they're trying to slip in things like critical race theory and trying to do it under cover of, of darkness so that they can, you know, make sure that they get it in, even though the law would tell them they can't do it. Well, you've you know, got, I mean, that right there is anarchy. Chuck, you know how that's done, though, right? Basically, oh, we don't teach critical race theory. Well, okay, not as such. You don't teach it, but what it it's inculcated into the texts and the teaching right. curricula. It's worked in. It's it's okay. Uh, a biblical, uh, a kind of a, a a biblical picture. Yep. You you work in a little bit eleven, and there's no way to keep it from the whole lump. You work in a tiny little bit of leaven and, and you let, let it all sit and wait for a little bit while the dough rises and voila, that little <laughs> tiny bit of leaven has worked its way through the whole lump of dough. Yeah, that's true. That's, and that's true. how, that's how it gets in. Yes, that's true. And but that's how know, the homosexuals the, uh, work their stuff in as well. And, right. the, and, and, and so as we see the, the government run schools fa falling to these progressive uh, leftist socialist ideals, parents have the right to pull their kids out and homeschool. Now, Chuck, there's one thing that, you know, isn't coming up in a lot of these news articles about this radical Nazi curricula that these kids, these, that these parents are supposedly teaching their kids is that under Ohio's homeschool laws, you're to submit a notice to the superintendent of the public school district in your, in your area, your intent to homeschool, and a list of the curriculum that you're going to use. Right. Are you telling me that the superintendent, now again, the superintendent and the school district can't deny you the right to home educate your kids. They can only just acknowledge the fact that you said you're going to do it and take their, your kids off the rolls for when they're doing their count to get money. And that's the reason why they don't want your kids leaving is they get money from the state and per from student. the feds yeah. per student. And they are trying to get them all in. It's the reason why they did a few things a few years ago where, 
oh, homeschoolers, you want to participate in extracurricular activities? Just come and take one or two classes at the, at the school, and you can play sports for us. Well, once you get them enrolled, even on a part-time basis with one or two classes, you can count them towards your ADM. Exactly. It was all about, it was all about money and control. It wasn't about providing an opportunity. And sadly, a lot of homeschool families kind of fell into that trap. Um, I, I, we were not one of them. Um, yes, we homeschooled our kids. But now they're trying to attack it because they want to eradicate the homeschool laws. They want to force everybody's child into the government-controlled education apparatus, which I think is its indoctrination apparatus. Well, they want to make everybody a good Marxist. And to do that, we have to make sure that uh, um, with, nobody's teaching fascism. And, and we have to be careful about this because, you know, as we talked about on a, a couple of weeks ago, we had a little insurrection of our own here in Ohio where a uh, politician by the name of Jason Stevens, who happens to be my rep, decided that he didn't want to take the will of the caucus in who they picked for the speaker up for this session. And so he gathered a group of people who were loyal to him, uh, who were all, honestly, I know the vast majority of them and almost to a man jack of them, they're all power hungry. Yes. Um, and, and I'll say that to their faces. Um, but then he went over to the Democrat caucus, got all their votes, and usurped and took over the speakership by ha- being elected by, he had 22 P- Republicans. Okay, now this is, we have a Republican supermajority in the House right now. Right. 67 Republican seats out of 99. There's 32 Democrat seats. Stevens had 21 Republicans join him. He had 32 Democrats join him. The Democrats outvoted the Republicans, but voted to put Stevens in because he cut deals with them, made promises to. And immediately after him getting the speakership, within a week, Chuck, this issue is coming up about homeschooling. What's so very, you know, what's the key link between those two things? Just so happens that one of Stevens, his biggest financial contributor to his campaign coffers is the Ohio Education Association, the teachers union, the public government run teachers union, whose salaries and bonuses and raises are partially influenced by how many kids are sitting in the classroom when they do that ADM in October. Do you think that there might be a connection there? Oh, I can see Uh it. Yeah, I was going to say, please, if you can't, then you're deliberately looking away. As a matter of fact, there was an article that just came out today. I was just reading it earlier that basically said that from 2017 until now, uh, because they went back to like, you know, one of the oldest of his like of his core leadership team. They're the biggest fundraisers in, in the like his core leadership team, the biggest fundraisers in the in the state house and between them, they had raised almost $350,000 from public sector unions, including yeah, the OEA. Which is supposed to be the realm of the Democrats uh, yeah. um, normally. Uh, you've, that's what you think. It doesn't work that way. Uh, I can still remember in 72, everybody was shocked when the Teamsters came out and endorsed Nixon. Or not in 72, in 68. Yep. Uh, and in 72. Why? Why they endorsed Nixon? Well, because both Humphrey and um, uh, 
McGovern, who was the 72 opponent to Nixon, um, McGovern was so far to the left, even the Teamsters couldn't set them. That's that's yeah. pretty bad. Um, but the same thing with Humphrey. They were like, yeah, we've had we've had now uh, uh, we've had uh, Johnson, and Humphrey is not making noises like he's going to be much different, and so we're not interested. And uh, uh, you're right. The, normally. This is, that's the, it's considered to be the democratic domain. Don't kid yourself. There's, there's a lot of deal making with the Republicans as well. Um, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely are. Absolutely. um, And and especially, I'll be quite honest again, especially with with the um, education. Uh, There's some kind of, uh, uh, people get wigged out when you start, talking about education. We want our kids, what they all want, they all think their kids are going to go to Harvard. Look, chances are your kid's not going to go to Harvard. Well, that's and, true. Chances, chances and, are, the chances are they're not. And even if they did, uh, conservative folks out there, your kids have come out screaming liberals uh, for the most part. Not entirely. Uh, I have someone who I, who I uh, read a lot of his books and listen to some of his podcasts and things. And that's Thomas Woods, Tom Woods, Tom Woods is a Harvard yep. grad. Yep. Um, and his, and his dad uh, was a teamster. <laughs> his dad was a truck driver and uh, he was a liberal and now he's a libertarian, uh, yeah. which obviously is not the same thing as a, as a Republican. Um, and, but but he is a a conservative. He's a conservative Catholic. You know, he's a uh, uh, all these things. But the fact is, for the most part, your kids are stolen from you. Even in a uh, look, you send your kid to Ohio State. I guarantee they're going to come out uh, not thinking straight about a lot of things. Oh, absolutely. Now, Chuck, I, I want to test your I want to test your historical knowledge. I'm going to give you two quotes. Okay. Yeah. And. I want you to tell me who said this. You probably would know, but it's right along in line with what we're talking about right here. Quote, our teachers were absolute tyrants. They had no sympathy with youth. Their one object was to stuff our brains and turn us into erudite apes like themselves. If any pupils showed the slightest trace of originality, they persecuted him relentlessly. And the only model pupils whom I've ever got to know have all been failures in afterlife. Unquote. I don't. You know? Okay. I recognize the quote. Okay. I cannot conjure up who, who said it. Well, let me give you the second quote from the same person and you'll get it. Quote, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. Unquote. Wow. That sounds like, uh, uh, it, say, it say sound, it. sounds like Rush Dooney. No, God, no. Uh, no. Adolf Hitler. Oh, Hitler. Oh, Folks, I yes. Now, okay. again, now think about this here. The government, government education industrial complex Democrats, uh, Alison Russo, who's the minority, who's the Democrat leader in the house and others are making a big fluff about a homeschooler training their kids to be Nazis. You uh, wonder maybe if there isn't a little bit more to that when you start looking at some of the quote, see, even, even though and he's completely abhorrent, but it seemed like Adolf Hitler didn't like what the the government schools were teaching 
in his day in his country. Now, Chuck, I mean, if I if that if Hitler wasn't attached to that, and you looked at those quotes, you would see that there's an awful lot of people around, you know, now we could consider conservatives, Christians, homosexuals. That would be one of their reasons for not putting their kids in the government schools. They don't want their kids' heads stuffed full of this leftist socialist ideology. Yeah. Now, yes, I know Hitler was a national socialist, okay? But you've got to understand something that maybe it's just, it, it, they're just using because everybody, you know, it's what's, what's you know, Godwin's law? The first one to bring up a Nazi reference loses. The first one to bring up Hitler in an argument loses. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, well, maybe the left is trying to do this because they're trying to shake off the fact that their means of doing things and their social constructs are more in line with what we would consider to be the Nazi plan than it would be for a freedom. And maybe they're just trying to get away from people learning these quotes about Hitler, you know, or from Hitler. Now I'm not saying these are great quotes, but I'm just saying it really is a microcosm of what's going on right now. Um, You know, and why do you want to eliminate homeschooling and make sure all the kids and they're trying to eliminate private schooling, Chuck. And, you know, they're, they're trying to fight against education choice uh, the backpack. I mean, they, one of the things as soon as they elected Stevens as speaker was that the backpack bill was going to go nowhere in the House. And the backpack bill is to give kids a chance to get out of failing public schools and go into Christian and uh, even non-Christian private schools in order to be able to get a better education and have their parents be in control. Well, it's not. And they, don't want, and they don't want that. They don't want that. It's not a shock that big governments, uh, Republicans. Um, who Steve, what, which is exactly what Stevens is. He's a, he's a, uh, uh, chamber of commerce, uh, Republican. They don't want, um, they don't want th- uh, uh, people to be able to walk away from getting inculcated with whatever the chamber of commerce would like for them to learn. Now, for instance, one of the reasons that Hitler made that statement, and I do recognize, I swear to you, I recognize that say I've read it someplace. Mm-hmm. that first one. And if you think about it, Hitler, what, what was the education system in Germany teaching as the predominant paradigm when he was talking about this before he took power? Well, it wasn't the, it was more church run, wasn't it? No, it was socialism. It, it was, was socialism. It yeah. was really Marxism. Um, okay. The schools had the same problem we've got. The, the Weimar government was socialist. People say, you know, uh, I, I always laugh when people say Hitler wasn't a socialist. Well, of course he was. He was a national socialist, which is different than what was being taught. What kind of what was being taught? Global socialism. In other words, it was a globalist. It was a communist system. Now, Hitler claimed he was an anti-communist. Did you know that Hitler in 1919 was a member of the German Communist Party? <laughs> no, I, I I was not aware of that. Yes, he was. And uh, there's a picture of him. Uh, one of the uh, important leaders, I think, was assassinated. And Hitler was a pallbearer at his funeral. I've seen the oh, okay. I've seen the picture. Now, sure, pictures can be faked, but it wasn't. Um, there, uh, you can find that kind of stuff. It's around, but the fact is, in 1919, Adolf Hitler was a member of the of the Communist Party. Okay, yeah, that's that's a new one on me. I I didn't study that far back. Um, and uh, he 
got uh, he he wasn't quite really yet a, an anti semite. Uh, that kind of came later with the whole as the whole uh, after the First World War, there was a paradigm that sort of took hold in Germany, and that was uh, Germans were told uh, by guys like uh, Ludendorff and and uh, Hindenburg, if you know who they are. They were the commanders who basically ran the, the army uh, and uh, saw so much German success in the early years of the war. And uh, But what their big thing was the stab-in-the-back theory. Have you ever heard of this? The stab-in-the-back theory. The soldiers in the field did not lose the war. It was the politicians and the radical communists back home who were undermining the system. Okay. The fact that Germans were starving to death while the soldiers were being fed at the expense of the people in general. And what was happening was little by little, the morale at, at home was saying, bring our boys home. It's time to end the, you know, negotiate a settlement, blah, blah, blah. And it was about to happen until America came into the war. One of the bad things that actually happened in world war one is that the negotiated settlement became impossible after the United States came into the war because all of a sudden there was arms and men and materiel to, to push the Allies over the top, and it still took over a year, year and a half, uh, which tells you how, how potent the Germans were. But they were starting to lose ground, and there was this stab-in-the-back theory. Well, who got blamed for it? The communists and, and quote-unquote, the Jews. The Jews were the ones who undermined uh, because they were pro-Marxist. And where did they get this idea? Well, so many of the people in Russia who had been involved in the Russian revolutionary movement were Jews. Okay. They were Jewish. Yeah. Trotsky was a Jew. They were all through the, the early parts of the Communist Party. Now, Lenin wasn't a Jew, and neither was Stalin. Stalin was was Orthodox, and I think Lenin was a... They were both fallen away, Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. Right. But there were a lot of Jewish revolutionaries. And so somehow those got hooked up with having infiltrated into uh, Germany and were uh, affecting these politicians who stabbed the soldiers in the back. Mm -hmm. Hitler bought into this and he bought into the, he'd already been involved in some of the junk with, if you read into the occult history of the Nazi party, dude, it is wild. And I'm telling you wild. I mean, they sent expeditions to Tibet to prove that Aryans had come from this area and had evolved away. They they uh -huh. sent people to Tibet to take physical measurements of their skulls and their bones and this and that and another thing. Uh, the hardcore, not, I, I think, honestly, Hitler didn't buy into that part of it. But you know who did? Himmler. Uh, some of these guys who were involved in the SS were heavily into this occultish, they believe, the Thule Society, if you if you, you may be familiar with that, you may not. Look into no, it. I'm not. Uh, the Thule Society and the, these weird anti-Semitic memes that came in in the Nazi Party. So when Hitler came into the National Socialist German Workers' Party, NSDAP, as shortened to Nazi, uh, these elements were already there and Hitler studied them, and he bought into the anti-Semitic part. So all of a sudden, people who had helped him along in his life, 
his mother's doctor who treated her in the last years of her life for her breast cancer that she died of was Jewish. And Hitler was deeply grateful to this man. And yet more than willing to kill him for, for, for his political purposes. I don't know what happened to the doctor. I think he died long before Hitler came to power. But uh, if you look into that, so these people that are, are pushing these ideologies and these homeschool, first of all, I, personally, uh, I have major problems with teaching Nazism in homeschool, but you know what? It's your homeschool and it's your kids. And, yeah, if, and, and if you can't prove it's some form of abuse, which I don't think it is, uh, then you need to back off. Uh, would something like that have to be watched closely? Yeah, yes, but who would watch it? Your local school district? I don't think so. No. Um, you know, uh, what may come out of it? Well, look, uh, maybe a lot, maybe nothing. There are a lot of people that are trained up in some weird ideologies that later wake up and say, that can't be right. It can't be right. And they, the smart ones go through and figure it out. Uh, I'm not going to defend teaching Nazism in a homeschool environment, but I'm also not going to completely say that uh, the parents don't have the right to raise their children in their chosen ideology. Because once you... Uh, breach that barrier, then it becomes, okay, who sets the rules for what ideologies are allowed and which ones aren't? That's, there you go. And the answer is whoever wants to. Uh, whoever, or, or, whoever, or whoever has the most political control. Whoever has the power. That's right, exactly. And that's what it's all about. It's about power uh, consolidation. And when you're decon deconsolidated and we have all these options like private schooling and homeschooling and uh, parochial school. schooling yeah. and, and all of these other options, well, hard to keep control when that happens. So what do you do? You start chipping away. You try to find the weakest link first and see if you can build a case to knock them off the peg. And then you can go after the rest of them because sooner or later it'll be like, well, this problem has just moved from this zone to this zone. And now we can, you know, oh, there's a problem over here. So we either have to get in there and regulate and make them look just like us and teach the same things we do or shut them down entirely because it's a problem. Um, so, Chuck, I mean, you know, this is the whole thing. So when you're seeing these things, folks, and the media is spinning it out there like, oh, it's so horrible that uh, homeschooling is bad. That's one example out of, Chuck, there are probably in Ohio right now close to 600,000 homeschooled kids. You know, they're being homeschooled like right now. Right. Which, you know, and usually in any average school year, there's about 2 million kids in the public education system. So, you know, you do the math. I mean, it's about, you know, a 30%, 33% are being homeschooled. And it's growing because parents don't like what's going on in schools <clears throat> they don't like it when teachers are predatory and you know have sexual relations with underage kids which open the open the press almost any day of the week chuck you're going to find one somewhere whether here in the in state or somewhere in another state where teachers are are becoming predators you know they are grooming and and having sexual relationships with with kids 
one of the reasons my wife and I withdrew our kids, uh, it, it was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. One of the reasons we, we withdrew our kids out of Westerville schools and homeschooled them was the mm -hmm. fact that my daughter comes home and starts telling me what her teacher, who was a radical pro-abort, was saying. Uh, not only that, they were, they were illegally campaigning for levies uh, and basically kind of forcing kids to uh, go home and tell your parents they have to vote for the levy or else blah, blah, blah will happen. Uh, that's, right. that's illegal. It's not just, uh, against policy. That's not legal. Um, and, uh, but it, it was the radical pro abortion message, uh, that if you don't agree with abortion then you're some kind of, if your parents don't agree with it, they're some kind of horrible fascist. Um, I didn't appreciate that. And, uh, I told Jenny, I go, I'm about done with this. And I said, you know, we've been talking about this for a while. And, and you knew me at the time. We, I think during part of it, we were uh, doing this podcast, doing the broadcast on WLRY, um, at least uh, during an early part of our homeschooling. Um, I said, we're done with this. Now, we're, was it the easiest thing in the world? No, but you know what? My daughters all excelled at what it was they chose to do. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, one of my daughters, uh, got a degree in history and ran the Licking County Historical Society for a time. Um, and, uh, now she has two kids and two fine grandchildren, fine grandchildren. Uh, everyone should be jealous of my grandchildren. Uh, they're all the most beautiful kids in the world and they're also the smartest. So just, if you think you can compete fine, believe it, you're wrong. Yeah. I won't say anything cause I don't have grandkids yet. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, when I do, yeah, you might be, you in might it, be in for a tussle. <laughs> in any case, uh, we, we worked it out. My, my wife had trouble teaching math, but I don't. So, See, and that's perfect. You know, my wife's great with math. I'm, I'm maybe not so much. Yeah. You know, she was great with math and science. I'm great with economics, history, politics, you know, civics, whatever you want to call it. And people said, you know, it was, oh, she won't be able to, they won't be able to do this and that and another thing. My kids can write anybody that comes out of the public schools under the table. Mm -hmm. My kids can read anybody that comes out of the public schools under the table. Uh, my kids can reason anybody who came out of the public schools under the table. Absolutely. Why? Because we taught them how to cri think critically. We, uh, Really, once you teach a child to think for themselves and to give them guidance on how to understand how to put two and two together and get four and teach them a little bit of logic, they teach themselves. Mm -hmm. my, uh, yes, my youngest daughter would basically take her assignments, disappear into her room for three or four hours and come out and show us. And she had basically taught herself how to do these things because we checked her work. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, you know, that's yeah, what happens. I'm, I'm going to take a, a moment of personal privilege myself to talk about my kids. No, no, just uh, talk about my, you know, my oldest son. Um, my old son, Webster, um, started his own business at the age of 14. Now, folks, that was part of our homeschool curriculum. 
was we taught them economics. We taught them, you know, logic. We taught them these skills. And then we told them to find something you want to do. And by the time they reached the age of 14, they were, at least the boys were, I, you know, we went a little softer on my daughter because she has a couple of uh, learning challenges. But we had our boys pull the paperwork and file incorporation documents to create a business. They, we had them be entrepreneurs at the age of 14. When they hit their 14th birthday, they were expected to pull paperwork and start a business. My son, my oldest son, did, my both boys have done it. My oldest son, that he's he self-taught how to code uh, computers, you know, write computer code. Um, you know, my wife could do some of it. You know, she did uh, like AutoCAD drafting and things of that nature. But as far as like getting in there and in, into the guts of it and writing the lines of code that make it run, that wasn't her forte. Certainly wasn't mine. I can barely find the on switch on a computer. <laughs> but from the time he was about eight or nine years old, we'd go to the local public library. He would check out every book he could on computer languages. And Chuck, you know some of those. They're eight, nine hundred pages long. They're thick. Oh, yeah. they're, like fun. they're like the New York City phone book. Believe me, I learned for a useless language, Fortran, uh, yeah. in college. So I know yeah. what you're talking about. Well, I mean, he would say, I mean, he knows C, C++. For, I mean, he, you name it, he know, if it's a development language, he either knows it or he can get familiar with it pretty quick. Um, he would set and debate. He'd get one of these books. He'd come home and, you know, library usually you get two book for two weeks. At the end of two weeks, do you need to check a book out? No, I'm done with it. Well, you just look through it. No, I read it. Dude, it's 800 plus pages. I know. I read it through. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And, and he wasn't lying. He wasn't joking. He did. He would sit there and devour these books. And then he'd get on the computer and he'd do his thing. Well, just today, as we're recording this, right before we started recording this, he was busy finishing up getting interviewed by a tech magazine on the idea of open source coding for gaming and where it's going. Because his name was at the top of a list of open source coders that this that this magazine was, you know, they went to the industry and said, can you give us a list of names of people who are really good at open source coding? His name was at the top of the list. Now, let me tell you, uh, just just to slip in, I, I will endorse your uh, uh, your endorsement of your son because he sent me a text today. I had, uh, I think I called him and left him a message about a problem with a website, my brother's website, which I'm getting ready to take over. Yeah. So he's done some work for me. He does a very good job. <laughs> he does a very, a, a very good job. Yes. Yeah. He. Um, he also builds political websites. Uh, I kind of got him started on that when I was doing campaigns. Uh, so now he's still got a couple of clients who like, you know, hey, I need to update this on the website or can you can you add this to the website? So every once in a while, they'll just reach out to him. Hey, can you fix this? And he's like, yeah, I can do that. So he does some of that. He's got his own company, uh, Web Eworks. He's, he does coding. He just got off of a like seven-month job with a game company from out I think out in California somewhere, helping to rework a bunch of their code in an open in a game that they had out there that they were like, you know, we, people still like playing this game, but, you know, we're, we can't maintain it as much. Can we fix this code? And he came in, and there had been guys working on this stuff for 10 or 12 years. He comes in, and in seven months, they've got it done. They've got it released. You know, and they, he, he, they paid him for it, which was great, you know. 
oftentimes with his open source stuff, he's just he's volunteering his expertise, and he likes it because he says, "Well, it gives me a chance to work through new ideas that I there got you go. and yeah. see if they work." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Then that's on the job training. That's pretty good." <laughs> yeah, that's self directed on the job training. It's beautiful. But, but I'm sorry, folks, about that little segue. Like I said, I want to take no. my moment of personal privilege because no. I'm awfully proud. I I'm, I'm, can't wait for this article to come out so I can read to see, you know, what's going on with it. <laughs> maybe maybe but, you can come on the show and read it to us. I, yeah, and I would not understand it any better than I do now. But, yeah, that's the way it works. Well, it sounds to but, me like, but, like Elon Musk needs to hire your son to fix Twitter because uh, apparently it's still busted. I, I, you know what? He probably could. I, I really – there's a, he, he's not afraid of anything. I mean, he'll tackle them. He he actually also is a published author, Chuck. Um, you know, there's a um, a game a gaming system called D20. It's like our Microlux, which they took the old Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And I know yeah. people are torn on whether Dungeons and Dragons is satanic or not. It's like it's fantasy stuff. Just give it a rest. Yeah, have fun. Uh, but, yeah, but they do like a mini a mini one, like you know, that's condensed and things. He actually helped write the the game manual for this game. You know, the guy the guy who was was doing it reached out to him and was like, "I like I, I seen what you do. I seen stuff you posted. I like your writing style. Can you help me do this?" And yeah, he did. And I mean, he you know, it's a it's a fairly involved manual. You know, like player's guide. Right. But you know, he's a published author. Uh, I'm just like, wow. You know, by the time I was 23, let's see, I'd just gotten through with college. I was working a grunt job. No, I was I didn't have my own business. I wasn't a published author. I, again, I wasn't, I was, I was educated in the government run school system. He, thankfully, was not. And he doesn't sit with the constrictors or the narrow thinking that is promulgated in the government-run schools. They want you... It is an agenda-driven. Folks, don't kid yourselves. And it's the, it's a stem source of the vast majority of the problems we're having in our society right now. We don't teach kids economics. So they think that money is unlimited and that there is no, there are no consequences. We teach them self-esteem, so you got to feel good about yourself all the time. And so therefore, whatever you want, whatever you want to do is right in your own eyes. Um, there is no truth uh, or absolutes or moral standards. You can make it up as you go along. That way you can you can be he, she, it, personal, you know, my pronouns are right. Um, I'm going, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm a guy who's going to dress in a dress and go hop in the girl's shower, you know. But, you know, this goes back to what where we started. It does. The lack of the lack of absolutes and the lack of definition, or shall we say the removal of definitions and the removal of absolutes are leading to the craziness now. I think uh uh in the State of the Union address, uh um uh Sarah Huckabee made the statement that this is no longer left versus right, it's sane versus crazy. Well, and I'm glad she finally put it that way because I think liberal, uh, like hardcore left socialist liberalism that we see out of so many, and I won't just say Democrat politicians, even some Republican politicians, Mitt Romney being one, um, I think is a mental disorder. 
I honestly do believe that many of these people, and especially when it gets into the whole transgender ideology, the LGBT stuff and everything, these are mental disorders, folks. It used to be that we would have compassion on people. We would help them to try to get past this, you know, have them seek mental, you know, and medical help in order to get past it. Now we're saying, well, if you feel that way, let's get you scheduled right now to carve your body up so that your your outward form can look like what you feel like inside. Chuck, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Yeah. The yeah. prophet Jeremiah says. What we basically, our entire culture now, instead of saying, what is right and true, follow that, we're now saying, follow what you feel. Follow your heart. You know, there was this old, there was this old analysis that said that basically our modern entertainment movies are broken down into two things. There's two streams. The first stream is do what's right, you know, no matter what the cost. And you see things like that, like the movie Facing the Giants or Rudy or things like that. But then you've got the other branch, which is follow your heart. Do what makes you feel good. And that's where you get movies like American Beauty and, and others like that, which usually all lead to tragedy. We have become a culture of follow your heart. And again, the schools, these government-run indoctrination centers have been the source of the problem. You know, back in the 70s, they talked about values clarification. Well, who clarifies them and whose values? And then we just kept changing the title. So now we have social-emotional learning, which our current governor is a big proponent of, sadly. But all SEL is is values clarification of the 70s. Exactly. It's the stuff we worked to to keep out of, of public schools when my kids were in public school. Exactly, but it's now in there full bore full because bore. there's a big there's a big funding stream behind it. Because even when you win, you don't win. Why? Because then they just uh, like the leaven, they bury it deep in the lump. Yep, exactly. And so you can't find it. Okay, we're almost out of time, but I will say um, one thing that came to mind when you when you you know you talked about these uh, you follow your heart. There's another issue that came up. Believe it or not, if you've ever watched Pinocchio, which I know you have. Uh, what, yeah, what is it's Jiminy, been a while, but yes. What does Jiminy Cricket always say? Always let your conscience be your conscience guide. Be your guide. Right. Well, guess what? If you're a sociopath or a psychopath, you don't have one of those. If you if your conscience is seared, it's not a very good guide. It's a terrible guide. But if your conscience is under the control of moral absolutes, in other words, submitted to God, then that's great. Yes, exactly. But that's a conditional. It's not an absolute. Yes, that's right. That's conditional. That's a conditional. Okay. Uh, we are out of time. And we didn't say anything about relationships under construction. March 10th, Villa Milano, 630. Be there. We need uh, we need your help at uh, relationships under construction. Uh, sign up at relationshipsunderconstruction.com and come to the Villa Milano and eat your lasagna and uh, help us uh, educate kids in absolutes because that's what we do. All right. You know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And please join us again next week for another Principles and Policies. If you messed up like I did when I was your age in college, know that God loves you just the way you are.
Come here, seven-year NFL veteran Steve Grant at the 14th annual RUC Fundraising Banquet. The theme this year is Choosing to Win. Join us for this special evening at the Villa Milano on March 10th. Festivities begin at 6, followed by dinner at 6.30, and then the program at 7 p.m. Make your reservations today at RelationshipsUnderConstruction.com.